Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure I have the opportunity of presenting special guest, Claire Campos O'Neill. Mother of two young boys who's guided by the campsite rule. Leave your space better than you found it. Claire Campos O'Neill is a first-generation Mexican-American and co-host of Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast that we'll talk about further during the interview. In November of 2021, she put her name on the ballot and ran for office for the first time for House District 51. While she didn't win the race, our guests learned a great deal about her community, the inner workings of local politics, and the importance of putting yourself out there. This act of courage propelled Claire to launch a podcast, Go Behind the Ballot, with her co-host, Nicole Abshire. Together, they strive to demystify Texas politics one issue at a time. Their show is nonpartisan, pro-democracy, conversational, and always edutraining. In Claire's free time, she volunteers as the president of the DeVille Education Foundation. She's passionate about ensuring that Texas students have access to high-quality public education and every opportunity to succeed in school. It's with great pleasure I welcome Claire. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. I'm happy welcome, to chat. Welcome, welcome. I was just saying before we started recording this, how with the local elections in the midterms and that there wasn't a red wave, more like a trickle. And I think there's starting to, at least the way I'm interpreting it, I want to get your opinion on this. I feel like there's more of a unifying message coming through the electorate. When you look at the way a lot of these elections are being decided, they're deciding choices of people that are trying to move beyond the turmoil of the last six years. And that's been my read on it. I want to get your opinion, see what you thought, what you're reading from the electorate right now. thing that keeps ringing over and over in my head is we did an interview with these two awesome women. They have this group called Blue Horizon, and it's where they try to train, recruit, educate folks who want to run in really rural red areas in Texas. And one of the women, Stephanie Phillip, we asked, we were like, what do people really want from their leaders at the end of the day? And Claire Barnett, one of the co-founders said, they just want their leaders to solve problems. That's it. They want them to solve. Practical. Pro- it's yes, so practical I mean, to ask that, to want Yes. That. And yeah, of course, like when we elect folks, I always thought like they go off into their dais or whatever, to their capital and they... That's what they do, right? They like make sure our roads work and that we have drinking water and we have infrastructure and all these things. But the more I started to look under the hood and go behind the ballot, I was like, oh my gosh, some of these people have no interest in solving problems. They just want power and they just want to control people's lives. And I think the electorate is saying, 
we want you to solve our problems. That's it. I love that. <laughs> it's so straightforward too. At least we have an informed electorate. And I, for some reason, I had this vibe before the election. I wasn't that worried. Even if certain parties switched in Congress right now, I'm not that worried because I know the message that's been set is pretty straightforward. And it's not something you can confuse at this time. At least how I do it. Yes. We just, we need more people to vote too at the end of the day. Cause like they'll do polling, right? On a lot of issues. And there is pretty good consensus among Americans. Like we do think women should have the right to choose. And we do think common sense gun reform is a good idea. And we do want affordable higher education and free public education. Like we all want the same things, but we get side, we get sidelined under these party banners. And as they go more extreme, I think people are starting to pull away and be like, exactly. I I care about that, but I really need the basics. I need to do the basics. I have to tell you this. I admire you for running for public office and putting yourself out there and showing people that you could do this. And it's not about winning. It's about getting and putting yourself out there and showing the world that you could do this. How did you get into that decision-making process for yourself that this is something you're going to do? And you, by the way, you're not down. I see you getting it in the future. Keep going. (laughs) And there's something else I'll tell you too. I feel like you're going to do something with Beto in his energy. You're going to work together in some type of project and it's going to help to propel you with public office. So keep going. And I see you higher up the state rep, by the way. Going very high up. So keep going. Yeah. We'll see what happens. For me, like I said, I I get this question sometimes and I try to trace like where did this begin? And it was a long journey. So I don't know that there was like it was a bunch of like little baby steps, not like this aha. Oh, I have to fix I really want to fix these broken systems. I think it was probably like a confluence of things. Like becoming a mom really shook my world. And that once you have these little humans in your life that you're in charge of. I thought a lot about the people I want them to become and how I want them to be brave and courageous, think about others and be service-minded. So I realized, okay, if I want my kids to do these things, I have to model that. At the end of the day, kids learn through modeling. So I was like, I need to live my values. I don't want to be this kind of person that complains, oh, this doesn't work and that doesn't work. If it doesn't work, fix it or find someone to fix it. We don't have to just, we're not just stuck with what it is. That's the nice thing about being in a democracy. So I had my kids. I was getting more curious about local politics. I went to this training by this organization called Annie's List. They're really great. They help train women specifically to run for office, pro-choice women, and just started like tucking away this information. Like maybe one day I'll use this. I don't know. And then for the state representative's seat that I ran for, the man who was the state rep decided to run for Congress. So it was an open seat. Wow. People in the know are like, if you're going to run for an open seat, it's easier than to run against an incumbent. So I knew winning was like a shot in the dark. It was very low odds. I was like, why not? <laughs> why not just try? Anything so could happen. Yeah. <laughs> Put my name on the ballot, on the Democratic primary ballot, along with six other people, seven of us total. Yes. Not surprising. The woman with the most name ID, the most money who had run previously. That's how it works. Yeah, she won. But there's a lot of upside. I got to know her. I got to know the other people in the race. A lot of us still text on great terms. This is is your first trial. When I say trial, I mean like your first try at it and you're going to do it again. And I would tell you, think of yourself as like the Energizer buddy mixed in with the thing that gets knocked down and comes back up all the time when I'm trying to use the right word, but it's a oh story. yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Basically, I was thinking not, like a punching bag. Go, it's like a, I have to I'll find it. I'll send it to you. 
I'm older, obviously. And there was a toy in the seventies, eighties that you used to knock it down, but it pop. It was weighted. Yeah. So yeah. I tell you is you're the energizer buddy mixed in with that. You're not getting knocked down. You're resilient. You're strong. The relationships you've just created are going to flourish for you. And they're going to help you go forward with your political aspirations. Thank you. Yeah. It's funny. Your I'm podcast this. is a beautiful mechanism for you to air your viewpoints. So now you have a public record with your views shared on the record so that when you're ready to run again, you're literally just going to have clips from your show that you're going to share with your audience and your prospective voters. Yeah. When you share your ideas and viewpoints, that's why I see where you live, your constituency, it has a higher level of female constituency to it or something. And I feel like in the future, they're going to be galvanized by your show. And so you'll have a Thank you. I hope so. I'm hoping to help people, but really specific women, like reclaim their power. Like there's- You're going to empower women. That's so much power. Lessons. It's like, we got to just, we got to grab it or take you're it. You're going to empower women. That's what yeah. I see. I need to ask you this. When you're looking at what you're doing and then creating your podcast, go behind the ballot. How did you get the idea to create the podcast and timing of when you ran for office and where have you seen it grow since you started? Because I know it's grown in directions. You probably didn't expect that first. After running, I was trying to think, okay, what do I want to do next? I've had my real estate license for about 10 years and real estate's a great career, but not really something I'm all that passionate about. So I knew I wanted to take that opportunity coming off of the run to transition into something different. And at first I thought, I would write a book. I actually started writing a book about how to run for office and like on a very shoestring budget, like really doing it all on your own, which is what I did. I had like a few helpers, but not to the extent that most people have. So I started writing the book and then I met up with Nicole, my co-host, who had written a book. Her and I had met in an acting class years ago and just like bouncing off ideas like, Nicole, I want to like help folks understand crazy wonky system and pull back the curtain and show them what it's really so I think I'm going to do this book. And then as we were talking more, I started realizing, okay, you can't just put a book out there. You have to market it and have an audience and you want to like drum up interest. So I was like, actually, maybe we should do a podcast first and then the book will come later. And then hopefully the audience will be like, great, we love this. And that still might happen. The book is very much on pause, but the podcast seemed like a great next step. I think it's remarkable. When you think about what you've done so far, what was the biggest obstacle when you ran for office that you witnessed firsthand that you were like, wow, you know what? This system needs to be reformed better. What do you think could be reformed to make it easier for access for someone like you to get on the ballot and just in general? Money is like the biggest barrier, I think, at least to get elected. And then once you're elected, there's other barriers. But all anyone cares about when you're a candidate is money, is how much have you fundraised? And that comes into play across the board. People are always asking you, what have you fundraised so far? And if you've raised money, it's easier to get more money. Money begets money. So when you don't have the network raining their money on you, it is such a battle. It's such an uphill, steep climb. And like the woman I mentioned who will be our next state representative, she's an attorney. And I learned like attorneys know this game. You know, there's so many of our elected officials who are attorneys. (laughs) You probably know this, Jason. I feel like you almost talk about this in law school. Like when I run for office, you're going to write me a thousand dollar check because that's what they did. And I didn't have that network. I didn't have those people who were opening their book like, yeah, you're running. Of course, here's your money. I had to call my friends and be like, I'm running for office and I need money. And people are like, why are they like, I don't have extra money. Yeah. You're trying to do, I admire so much because I realized the uphill struggle you're going through just to try to Getting your name on the ballot is a big deal and putting yourself out there is a big deal. I admire that because 
you're a trailblazer. You're breaking that glass ceiling that is going to finally no longer exist in the future. I know within the next 20 years, we're going to have equality. We're going to have all these things you're hoping to aspire. You're going to be involved in as a pivotal member of the government, wherever you're at. That's what I see. So I'm talking to someone who's going to be that shaker, that mover, that person that's an influencer in their own way to help. That's really what you're going to accomplish. And I see that happening. I don't even see it as a challenge for you. I think you're very resourceful. And I know you've learned so much already. You're going to keep going and watch. We'll celebrate you when you get elected because I see the challenges and the progression of the steps you have to go to get there. Yeah, that's like we've seen plenty of guys in these roles. We need to see more women. And luckily where I live in Travis County, people love to vote for women. So it makes it a little bit easier. Unfortunately, when I ran, there were three women on the ballot who said, I'm going to try anyway, even though we have these additional things to overcome. What was yeah. the fundraising? So aside from calling family members and people you knew by phone, did you have fundraising events like dinners or we would think that there might be like photothons or something, call banks that call people or knocking on doors. Was it like that for you? So it was tricky because this was a very short race. And because in Texas, there was redistricting that happened. So when they redrew the lines that would determine who would vote in what area, all these candidates, there was like this reshuffling of the deck. And that's when our state representative said, I'm going to run for Congress. That was like in November and the Democratic primary was in March. So that was only like four or five months to decide you want to run and then put your plan together. And my plan was like building the plane in the air. (laughs) I just had to go and figure it out as it was happening. So I did have a kickoff event and I got a few donations from that, which was nice. It was more tell myself like, this is real. I'm doing this is happening. And then I basically started with like my network and calling people who I thought would be supportive and try to get that quote unquote easy money in the beginning. And if I had done this the way you're told to do this, I would have hired someone on to help me with call time and to keep me accountable. And we would have planned an event or two, but I didn't have the time to raise the money to hire the person. So I just had to do what I could with the dollars I pulled in. Two neighbors of mine did host a virtual event, a charcuterie with Claire, I think they called it. And that was really nice where people donated a certain amount. They got a cute little charcuterie board. And then we did like a Zoom call because this was also when COVID was spiking. It was crazy. I actually got COVID in January. You know, the primary was in March and I'm on these Zoom. Thank God. Like in a way, it was good that it happened. You got Zoom? Yeah, every all the like endorsement meetings moved to Zoom. So I was there like, I'm sorry, I'm a little sick. And everyone around me is, I think you have COVID. I'm like, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> I had COVID, but I was in denial. <laughs> when you think about all the challenges of what you've done running for office, would you do it again? I think it would have to be the right circumstances. Like this opportunity was like too many things aligning to pass up with it being an open seat, with it being a short run, with my husband saying, I think if you want to do it, enough things like clicked into place to where it was worth throwing my hat in the ring then. I think it would have to be a similar situation. I don't know that I have my eye on a seat. Oh yeah, that's what I'm going to do one day. If a position opened up a local position and people were like, no one is stepping up. We know you're really passionate about this stuff, you should try, then I could see myself being talked into it. But at the moment, I don't know. That's not really on my radar. I would say that there might be some conservation you might get involved with in government level. 
the county, something like that, you might have something there. As, I, as you were mentioned, got that popping up, like you might start there and work your way into it. I don't see you stay on the state level either. I see you moving up from there. So there's something that you're going to progress through. But what do you think from what you've seen recently with the elections, the future of Texas looks like in your eyes, like from your viewpoint? I think even though Beto didn't win and obviously other candidates had some struggles, but at the same time, I saw a lot of positive things from the election returns. Yes. I think a lot of people in Texas, Nicole and I did an episode recently that the midterms and the midterm results and how the statewide offices were swept by Republicans. And there was a lot of really great Democratic candidates. So we thought maybe one of them will win, one will break through, especially Attorney General, because our Attorney General, Ken Paxton, has a lot of scandal around him. So everyone said that was the most flippable seat. But Rochelle Garza, the woman running against him, she lost by like, almost 10 points. You look at that and you're like, oh my goodness, you have these candidates. You have Beto who raised $70 million almost. And he wasn't even really close to Abbott. What do we do? And I'm like, statewide races are hard, very hard. What gives me hope is a lot of local races. There was a lot of school board races in central Texas that had some pretty radical candidates on the ballot. People who want to ban books, who are not very supportive of teachers who like bring up this grooming rhetoric and like are breeding this distrust. I was so worried that some of them were going to win and cause chaos on these school boards. And for the most part, at least in central Texas, I'd have to look statewide. We had really great candidates win. And that's so important because if you're a parent, school board has so much influence over your life and your kids' lives. So thank God we got some good people. I feel like our democracy withstood these challenges. We got to be diligent, keep going every wave from here on out. It's more like a relay race. It's not a one-time thing. The past the baton of the future, even if people got elected now, we got to keep going for helping build up more candidacies of people who can be successful going forward. And the grassroots there and that kind of stuff. And I think the activism is just as important what you're doing with your podcasting, what we're doing right now. This is just as important, at least at this stage of things, because the election's over. But there's never really the election's over. It's always got to be something. We always yeah. got to spread information to make sure people understand that how important and urgent these things are. I think the real challenge is going to be rural Texas because rural Texan voters primarily vote Republican. And it's interesting because rural Texas is suffering big time. These folks are dealing with broadband issues, like not really having broadband access. And a lot of rural hospitals are closing and they are really suffering when it comes to employing school teachers, like a lot of them have moved to four day school days to help retain the teachers that they have. And yet they still vote for Republicans who do not prioritize those things I just mentioned. They want to do crazy stuff, like make it hard for women to get abortions. 60% of the general public wants abortion to be legal. I don't understand how mathematically anyone running for a public office, especially national or statewide, would think in their right minds that's going to be something that they'll be able to persuade the populace to vote the way they want them to. And 60% of the general public is against that direction. It boggles my mind. What are you trying to do? Gaslight the American public to the point where they'll vote? I don't see it. It just doesn't add up for me. For them, for the rural Republican candidates, they have such a smaller pool of people to appeal to, and there's not as much diversity of thought. I think that for them, some of these single issues 
rise above everything else to their detriment. I think we need to make the argument that they should keep thinking on that. I think we just need to talk more about it. Like, why do you think abortion is murder? What is this all about? And dig into it a little bit more. I think that they're being misled and their votes being abused and used by these people. They would maybe disagree, but I just want to be like, just rethink that. Can you rethink that? Because if you rethink that, then maybe these other things will start to bubble above. And then you'll be like, you're right. I don't have clean water and my roads do suck. And my kid's teacher is suffering. Yeah, our grid. Yeah. I know how people brag about the Texas power grid being independent from the rest of the country, but under those circumstances, it wasn't very much to brag about. And it was terrible. Like people died, people froze to death. It was so bad. And yet Abbott's still the governor and they don't say he got reelected. So what does that say in terms of Yeah. Our memories are short. When you went through that experience. What did you gain from that to know that as a future politician for yourself, a future political figure, you would avoid from the mismanagement and mishandling of that situation? What do you mean that I would avoid? With the grid, like the way that there was the breakdown and it caused a great freeze and all those people, unfortunately, were affected and impacted by it. This is the thing that makes me sad thinking about the grid and thinking about covid We lost power during the grid for like days on end. And then a lot of people didn't have drinkable water because they couldn't purify the water. So you had to boil your water. There were all these terrible side effects. And what a lot of folks have done, people with wealth, privilege, have purchased generators. So if that happens again, they're protected. So instead of us all coming together and being like, okay, let's problem solve. We're in the same boat. People are like, nope, I'm in my own little lifeboat. Me and my own. I don't play. And it's not going to help the community. That's going to yeah. cost people who can't do that for themselves. And those I'm people are just left out. Yeah. yeah. And same with COVID. Like, I thought, if anything, we would be like, oh my goodness, our schools are incredible. Like, they are such problem solvers, doing hybrid lo- learning, remote learning, still providing great education to our kids. Instead, they were like, mask? You want to put a mask on my child? And, and these teachers got attacked. They went from heroes to villains. And I'm just like, what are we doing? My impression with all that, it was just so mind-boggling to see people fighting over masks. And it's medical science. It's not like this is something that we pulled out of the sky. This has existed for hundreds of years, built upon itself, like legal precedent. Health practitioners that have the knowledge that we can rely on to help prevent the spread rather than come up with some conspiracy theory that has a little value to it. Even listening to it, it hurts the ears. Think about that woman who ran, I think it was for governor of Arizona, Carrie Lake, the big personality, Fox Newsy lady. I was hearing her talk about COVID and she was like, when I'm governor, we're going to investigate the response to COVID, blaming the people who are reacting to the pandemic. Like they're the reason our lives were shit. And it was like, woman, they were reacting to an outside thing that they couldn't control And they were reacting the best way they could, given the information that they had. So instead of it being, we are going to collectively figure out how to deal with COVID, it was like, we're going to go after you because you're- Well, scapegoat those people. No, thank you. This is a weird twilight zone. How do you think we can galvanize Gen Z? Because it seems like they came out a lot pretty well for this election. At what point, I feel like every time we say this election is the most important election of your lifetime, at what point are they going to say, you know what, I'm so tired of this. I don't, like, how do we galvanize to keep them so that they don't burn out? Yeah. 
I think we have to remind them that what is it like the arc of justice is long? What is it? Do you know this expression? I'm not the best at quoting it. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Basically, it takes a very long time for changes in society when we look at the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Yeah. I agree with you. I That's think we have to tell them in Texas with state house races, they're very gerrymandered to the point where they're very red and very blue. And it's so hard to flip those districts because they're intentionally drawn that way. So people can think, why should I vote? This person's going to win if I show up or not. Right. However, you still need to vote because you have school board races on the ballot. You have county commissioners on the ballot. You have judges on the ballot. You have all these things that will impact your life. And further down the ballot you go, that's more local. That's more direct to you. So show up because a lot of those races do win by a couple of votes. They can be really tight and down to the wire. I think we have to help people not think so like national and statewide. You got to get more local because that's where the real action is. And it, like you were saying earlier, that's how you build the bench. And then these people can move up because they've done a great job wherever they were. And then hopefully we get better candidates for higher office. I'm thinking about the fundraising part when you brought that up, because that is a big component of this. I never really thought about in my head when I think about these things. I always thought you have to have this impeccable background. You can't be on social media with certain things or whatever it is, but there's actually that fundraising aspect. And how do you think you can teach others to be able to do that? Because I think that's such a good skill to have, because if people can learn to go to their community and raise funding for different projects and passion things that we can all gain from benefits from and stuff like generators or fixing the water supply so we don't need generators if there's a, a malfunction. What do you think we could do to help galvanize people to be able to be more interested in raising money for these things and more grassrootsy, being able yeah. to be more involved and not having to be even a part of the system in certain ways in order to make an impact or a difference on the local level? I'll be honest, raising is really hard. It was hard for me, but I tried to tell myself, it's okay. I have this goal in sight and I cannot get to that goal without money. Things need money. If you don't have money, you don't have a campaign. Period. Like the gas for the car. You need it. Yes. You got to get that gas. And this is like something I think about now too with a podcast because we've launched, we're doing well, but we want to monetize. Thank you. We want to monetize it so we can keep doing what we're doing. And it's like, okay, so what's that going to look like? And to make it easier on yourself, find people who align with you and your values. So if I'm calling my friends who I know also care a lot about public education, which is why I ran, it's easier for me to explain to them, I want to be state representative because I want to go and be the champion for teachers, but I need your help to get there. Can you donate $100, $50, whatever? And some of them would say yes. And I was like, oh, great. Okay. Let me call my next friend. And you just- That exhausting? It was hard, like getting it going. But once I was in that zone, it wasn't as hard. How about what you said as your goals of what you wanted to raise versus what you eventually wound up raising? Did you reach your goals there or how are you with that? Yeah. Is it, is <laughs> about that experience that you like to share with our audience about that. I was off to a good start. My goal was to raise $30,000 and I had about three months to do that. So I was like, I need 10 in this month, 10 in this month, 10 in the last month. And the first month I actually got there, I was like, oh, look at me. Like I raised $10,000 in about a month. This is great. The second month I raised about $5,000. This was also, I think, the month where I got COVID and things got crazy. And then the last month I didn't raise nearly as much. I think I raised like $1,000. 
And part of that was getting COVID and the holidays, like elections come, at least in Texas, during the worst time. And at that point, I was like, okay, I need to transition out of raising money into spending money. So it was like, okay, we got to figure out how to do like digital ads. I didn't end up buying signs because I ran out of time. So it was like, how do I spend this money that I do have so it's most effective? I did set my goals, but I backed away from that a little bit because I was like, I can only do one thing at a time and I need to just try to use my time best. And I thought at that point it was to, okay, I have some money. Let's figure out where I should put it. Now that you look back on it, I bet you have some ideas about what you would do differently, if anything. I just learned so much. The woman who ended up running, she also announced first, I think. And there is a lot about being the first person in front. A lot of people just rally around you. I don't know. It must be like a psychological effect or something. (laughs) But as soon as your name's there, when the rest of us trickled in, it was hard for us for so many other reasons. But I think she got a real advantage from that. So I'd probably decide early on. I would try to hire someone to help me. I was just doing way too much on my own. Like it was very exhausting. I didn't order signs. I would have bought some signs. They say that signs don't equal votes, but they do something, I think. Visibility maybe? Yeah, I think they just like, I don't know. Maybe it's like self-reinforcing. Oh yeah, I am voting for that person. Look, they have signs. Legitimizes you almost. So I would have bought some signs. Probably would have knocked on more doors. I would have done a better job with volunteers. Did you know how many people were in your district? Like the breakdown? Did they give you that information? Was there anything like that you had access to that you know who? Yes. I don't remember how many. I had access. I had to pay for it for this thing called Van. It's like Voter Action Network that you have to purchase through party. And you could target like who your voters were. I want to say it was like 5,000 voters. Maybe. How did you feel your support was from the, the local party, the Democratic Party of Texas? Crap. I have a big beef now being on the other side with endorsements and the whole endorsement process. I hate it. And maybe I hate it because I didn't get any, but I don't feel like I ever had a shot at getting in, any endorsements. I thought like my whole thing, my whole message was public education, public education. Yes, there's like other value, democratic values I really care about and were important to me, but I was like, I'm the education candidate. This is my lane. No one else is talking about it. When we went to go talk to education unions, groups, they didn't even care what I had to say about education. They were like, how much money did you raise? <laughs> I was like, okay, this amount. That was the question like, you got all the time was how much money did you raise? Oh, yeah. Like you have to What about the out, issues? They don't care. You have to fill out these questionnaires and they're like, and how much money have you raised? And I'm like, why am I filling out this questionnaire? I know who you're going to endorse. You're waste. It felt like you were wasting my time. I don't want to play this charade. I don't even really see what the value is. Please stop asking me these questions. I need to go raise money. I need to go knock on doors. Like it just spins you out of control. At least it did for me. Apparently, when you have money, you hire people to do these things. I didn't. So I'm wasting my time and my money. It really puts the underdogs at a bigger disadvantage, I felt. You know, an interesting point you raised, though, because you're saying that you basically need resources and you have to have wealth or some type of financial friends or financial opportunities that you can tie into this, maybe self-fund. Without that, you're having to really pound that sand to try to get the system to work in your favor, at least to get you involved, to be a player, to be taken seriously on the level you mm-hmm. should, right? If you oh, could yeah. have some type of way of evening that playing field so you have access to funding easier or had fundraising experience through party apparatus or whatever else there could have been, it might have helped your campaign. 
And yeah. If we it, took money out of it and did like democracy dollars or something, which I know some some areas in the U.S. have tried where it's like, and I think they did this in Seattle, like they mailed people dollars and they were like, candidates can spend those dollars, but they have to go to people, go to them, knock on their door and say, hello, I'm a candidate. I'd love for you to support me. Can I have those democracy dollars? That would be great. That would be like the that's like a scavenger hunt for politicians, right? Knock on the yes. door and get the dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you couldn't use any of your own money to make this happen, like maybe you could use volunteers to help amplify your message and your voice. Okay, cool. But if it was like that, oh, it'd be such a different game. Sounds it'd like hard to implement. Reforms, right? We need some reforms on the local level and the state yeah. level, federal level. Yes. And the party, okay, I'm not going to say they completely didn't help. Like the local Travis County Democratic Party, I did meet with the chair. We had coffee and she was very helpful and open and encouraging. And I appreciated her spending her time helping me understand like what I was getting myself into. But aside from that, the party wants money from you. And this is something that I don't think most people realize. Like when I was, when I said I'm going to run for office, my dad was like, and I was like, Dad, I need you to give me some money <laughs> to fundraise. He was like, doesn't the party give you money? And I was like, Dad, they want my money that I'm raising. No, that's not how so this works. Here's my question for you. That $30,000 number you were thinking of as a goal. Let's say you had raised that, that full amount. Would that have been sufficient to help you stage a, a comprehensive campaign? That, would you have the ability to have staff then? I was told like 30,000 was the minimum that I needed to be competitive. And in this race, because there were seven of us, the whole goal was to get into a runoff to try, like, we all assume Lulu, the woman with the most <laughs> was going to be the front runner. But as long as we kept her below 50%, that next person and her would go to a runoff. So it was like, all I got to do is get into a runoff. And then it's like, game on like you start from ground zero and a lot of people don't show up for runoff so they're a little bit of a coin flip and i was like i might have a chance so thirty thousand was like the floor and i still didn't get it what would have been considered a fully funded campaign from what you can see oh a hundred thousand dollars i think she raised 200 so she had 200,000 so she had her own staff and she probably had the balloons and she had the signs and the those kind of things. And yeah. then you're trying to compete against that yourself by spreading your message on educational reform or educational support. The response you got from the people you went to go see in the different organizations for education activism, I guess you call it, or right? advocates for that was, how much did you raise? Yeah. Because I think in this kind of a race, in a primary race, they're like, you got to have the money. It, it gives you legitimacy and it affirms that you're a good bet. So then if you have money, they're like, well, I want to give you more money. <laughs> so yeah. It's like pay to play and you got to play the system and you got to get the people to pay. It's like a pinball machine. You got to put the coins in to play. And if you don't, you're not going to be taking it seriously. But what you, do you realize what you've shared on the show today? Like anyone listening right now, that knowledge and life experience that you had can help anybody else who listens, who has the aspirations to do local government. Yes. And as hard as it is, and even though I lost. Out of seven people, I came in fourth, which like isn't terrible considering all of the things that were against me. I would still say, who cares? If you want to do it, you should still do it. Because what I also learned behind the scenes is that there's these people in the community who think of themselves as kingmakers and they'll be like, you don't run or I don't think that now is the time. <laughs> don't listen to them. Like you do you. If you feel like 
this is your chance and your opportunity and it makes sense for your life, you should run even if you lose. Because like I said, now I have relationships with all these people. If I do run again, I'll have some name ID. People will know I was serious. I really put a lot into this. So you should try it. You're you're podcasting and you're (laughs) message on these different shows. I would say that's pretty damn serious. I do think that you're taking this and turning into lemonade. I really do think I see a bright future with your political aspirations. And I think you're going to be mentored by some other people in the apparatus that see your talent and your abilities through your show, appearing on shows like this, or just being in the discourse. The more you're able to get yourself out there on this type of a medium, I think you're going to create an inroad for yourself. And I think you'll find that the second time around will be nothing like the first. That's what I see. Thank you. Yeah, I can see how it gets easier to run again once you are like, okay, that's what that was. I'm sure like people who climb mountains, I don't climb mountains, but that's like the analogy I always thought about was like, I have to get to, what's it called when you climb out Everest? Like camp one, camp two. It was like, I gotta get to this camp and then I gotta get to this camp. Like (laughs) I can do it. I spoke to the people who've done that and I'm like, how do you do that? And they're like, it's the loneliest place in the world. That's what running for office is. So there you go. <laughs> so you've experienced at least part of that feeling without the torment of the struggle of going to the top and being like, wow, I'm so alone right now. Because what they always say is going down is harder than going up. <laughs> and you've just spent six days going to the top and now you're exhausted and now you got to get down there. Now you can tell the world that you made it once you survive, but that's the part that no one thinks about when they go to do it. That makes sense. Yeah. And it's like running for blue. So what we have to do is change that for you or anyone else that has these. I just think your energy belongs in government. We need you in government. You need to be a decision maker based on my conversations with you. I'm very excited about you running again and doing things. I'm not a Texas resident, but I at least can share my viewpoints on this type of platform and other platforms and make my viewpoints know to support you because I think what you're doing is so critical and just so relevant to our times right now. You're the type of person that needs to engage in our society that make our changes that we're looking for. We're all desperate. So many people want change. Yeah. And you're at the cusp of that. And that's why I said I wanted to have you on the show for sure and talk to you and just share your message with our audience because A, you shared amazing viewpoints and just your experience itself speaks volumes. And I think in the bigger scheme of it, you're going to make these impacts that you'll see, that you'll look back at this time frame that you were like sharpening your swords and yourself mm-hmm. ready for that next proverbial battle. But it's not really going to be a battle because I feel like you're going to influence people to vote for you and raise money for you. And I think that's what I see. And I'm pretty happy about having you on at this day so I can say, oh yeah, I remember when I spoke to you back then. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm just trying to be open to what's next. And and this is another thing that I think is good about running for office for people who might be like, I don't know, maybe I'll do it, maybe I don't. Oh my gosh, you have to be so brave to run. But once you do it, it's like you can't undo it. And once you like jump in the water, there you are and you (laughs) have to be courageous. And for me, that was really good because I want to do more courageous things in my life. So once you do that thing, you're like, okay, what else can I do? It's like that song. I listen to a lot of Disney because my children from that movie Encanto, what else can I do? It's like, yeah. Uh, everything. Think of what your message is right now. It's of empowerment. It's of changing things. The system might be the way it is. We can change it. There's nothing set in stone that things can't change. All you have to do is get 
the right people galvanized behind you to change it. And that's what you've been yeah. doing while you're running. That's why I think you got drawn to run. I think you got drawn to run because you saw that things need to be fixed, that common sense, that it we don't need to be burning, banning books. No, not necessary. Why don't we make education a priority and fund it properly so people learn the proper information in their lives so how they have life skills to be successful citizens informed to vote in the future? That's probably the way we would help a democracy grow in the right direction. I wholeheartedly support what you're trying to do because I know we need to reverse these terrible things that have been happening in the last several years with the Supreme Court making these terrible decisions. Let's just erase precedent. No, that's not how it works. You don't just erase 50 years of legal decisions and just say, oopsie, we're going to change that now. Yes. And then what? <laughs> they yeah. think society is going to support that? Yeah. A Netflix special that <laughs> we'll tune into and watch out of amusement, but we're grateful it's not our reality. Like, I just. Yes. And the thing, this is why I love podcasts. Slate had this really great podcast. It's called Slow Burn, but they did one specifically about Roe v. Wade. And they talked about what's it called when they write the summary? Not the. the dis- yeah, I guess. Yeah, the case opinion. What's his name? Like Blackburn. Like he was pretty conservative. He wrote it. Or Blackman? Blackman? Uh, Are you talking about past from years past or recent? (laughs) Yeah. The 1972 case. I want to say his name is Blackman. He wrote the opinion and it was so thought out and he did all this research. He took it so seriously and you really appreciate that. And yeah, and then it feels like the Supreme Court justices now are like, whatever. It's like what we think. It seems like they got very fratty. Yeah. That they're letting the frat click of the group control how these decisions are rendered. And let's have Clarence Thomas make some decisions, even though there's like conflict of interest all over the place. It's frightening to think that's our highest courts right now because it's such a sacred institution. Me being an attorney and you with your goals for elected office, those are our sacred institutions. You can't create this kind of conflict within our system. It's just, it's got to be updated. Whatever that solution, it means we name more justices to make the system more reflective of our society because we're not just nine justices anymore. We could have more. Our population yeah. has grown so much exponentially since that time frame of when we had nine justices in the 1800s. Yeah. Or some I'm term not in favor limits. of course. Yeah. Term limits. And actually, if a justice or prospective justice lies when they are being questioned about their viewpoints and it can be proven that they lie, then they should mm-hmm. be brought be responsible for that. And if they acted yeah. properly when they're behind the bench in the Supreme Court, they should have ethics rules. If I'm an attorney and I have rules that govern me, then why shouldn't they? Absolutely. They yeah. have much more responsibility. I know. When people feel like they're not accountable, that's not good. That's when really their wife's involved in the planning of an insurrection, they should step down. <laughs> not even recuse, step down. Like you don't belong in government at that point. Your wife has tried to stage a coup. What's the point? Yeah. Game over. It's- yeah, it's really bad. And it's bad because when we let those things go, it erodes democracy. It makes people think like it's corrupt anyway. So like, why should I vote? Why should I participate? Why should I give this my attention? You're right. But we still you, need you to show up. I think there's going to be accountability. Personally, I think there's going to be a lot of accountability. And I think that's what's going to happen in the future. I think you're going to see some indictment roll. And I think that's going to change the momentum of things because I feel like the grand old party is going to see their own standard bearer and it's not going to be pretty for anybody. I think you're going to have new people come up with real ideas and hopefully a real good opportunity for our country. We'll see. Yeah, we will see. I know it's hard to tell like where we are right now because 
It's like the pendulum of America, right? It's like progress, backlash, <laughs> progress, backlash. Like, where are we? I think we're going to be in a stormy 2020s. I had a premonition about a year ago. I went for a walk here in Tampa and I had a premonition. I get glimpses of future shows sometimes. That's how I predicted Biden would win the way he did. I picked the five states he won, flipped and all that. And I put it on my Instagram like in June of 2020 before the election. But I get glimpses of things. And one of the glimpses I had was that the stuff you're doing right now is part of a larger movement, that women would be so galvanized by Roe v. Wade being overturned. I knew about six months beforehand that I had an army of women in their baby carriages, strollers, like, and it showed me a mountain of people working together. And I felt like that's going to change the momentum of the electorate. And that's going to change the candidates that get elected. And that's why I think this was a startup with this election. And I think you'll see more of this go into 2024 and beyond, but you're going to actually have to still deal with, like you said, the blowback, the resistance. And to say one thing, and it doesn't take a psychic to say this on the air, but 2040, we're a multicultural society. There's no denying that fact. It's just the way things work. Society's got to grapple with that in a good way. We've got to be able to allow women to be equal to men, allow equal pay. There shouldn't be minorities who have any kind of suffering occurring at all, economically or through society. We should all build each other up. I love your example of the generators. If you have a power grid issue, why don't people get together and try to fix the power grid instead of going in their own respective bubbles and buying their $4,000 generator that they can, with their shotguns, protect it while the next crisis happens? Yeah. That's not how you keep a society flourishing. That's not a democracy growing. Right. And it's very short-sighted. I understand you want a generator so you have power. But long term, we really got to correct this shit because the way we're going is like the wealth gap is getting bigger and like democracy. We did pretty good in this past midterm election. But if that starts to slip away, I just get so worried that we're going to end up going towards a country where you have such wealthy people and such people in a place of despair that you see more kidnappings and people need security guards. I don't want to live there. Yeah. I'm not trying to pinpoint South America, but I'm like, there's a difference and there's a disparity in some of the cultures in the past where you had a wealth gap that created social turmoil. And luckily, some of those countries are now doing amazing things to build coalitions, overcome and be... And they're doing amazing things now. I just would never want to see our country fall into an abyss of such inequality. It makes me stutter a little bit to think about it because I get speechless because I feel like yeah. we're the richest country in the world. Yeah. We put someone on the moon. We put people on the moon. We overcame all these other things. Why can't we overcome our own poverty or our own societal issues? Yeah. Of inequality? yeah. Think about in the midterms, a big Republican talking point was policing and safety and Yeah, crime, like everyone's so unsafe. I'm like, do you know why crime's going up? It's probably because people are desperate. There's a reason people commit crimes. If they didn't have to, I don't think that they would. So why don't we fix that? I'll just say this to what you're saying because it ties in. I I flipped through Fox News on my channel distribution of my stations. It's in the middle channel. So I have CNN here, Fox and MSNBC. And so I'll, I'll flip through the channels to check up on things. And I always wind up on Fox just to see what they have to say. And I was watching something during this not recent week, but like the last two months where they have these like so-and-so illegal immigrant commits crime and kills white people. Oh, Oh my God. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? This is what I get to watch on Fox News. This is Mm -hmm. what is being pumped out to the masses in this part of society. And I scratch my head and I'm like, 
do they not understand what's behind these things? Do they not understand societal things have nothing to do with the messaging that they're putting out there? And it just promotes bigotry and fear. And that's what's separating us. Yeah. That's part of that poison. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Some of these issues, it's just so frustrating because it's like, they're complicated. Like immigration is complicated. I wish it was simpler, but it, there's so many factors that play into that. But they want to act like it's simple and like they're bad. We're good. Keep them out. Doesn't work that way. And how about most of the people that are here in this United States? We came from immigrants. I came from Central European immigrants and Italian immigrants. Who are we to try to ridicule other people for wanting to pursue the same American dream that we got to build our lives upon? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that is. Absolutely. I know. I feel like if it's anything I keep learning and relearning, it's just how entrenched white supremacy is in America. And a whole other episode. I know. I know. But I, how much I, do I we need to, to say, deal with that? I have to say, as a point of reference, that is something that I, and you might have felt this way too, like growing up, oh, well, in the 1960s, the civil rights movement cured all our problems. Now we're in this post civil rights era and everyone is all equal and there's no racism. And then George Floyd happens and yeah, and it shows like the matrix moment, right? We came out of the mm-hmm. pot, saw this. I was shocked like anyone else. And it reached me on such a level that I realized that all that stuff we were being fed is a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. There's no other way to say it. We got to do over here. We got to approach these issues with racism and sexism and misogyny and abortion, restricting abortion illegally where it shouldn't be restricted. These things have to change. We got to make final changes and we have to enshrine these in protections. Federal laws, I feel like at some point, Congress is going to enshrine the right to abortion and protections for the LGBTQ community. And I think we're going to have a dreamer thing that finally comes through at some point in the middle of 2020s, where people aren't terrified that they're going to get deported just because they want to pursue the American dream. We have ICE agents showing up to take you away because you were here for 20 years. But no, that's not America. That's not the right. Way. Yeah. I know we're running low on time and I appreciate you so much for coming on and sharing. Obviously, <laughs> elicited a lot of passion for me in these topics. How can my audience contact you? So they can check out the podcast, Go Behind the Ballot, which is on all the podcast channels. And where you can also listen to it on the website, gobehindtheballot.com or watch it on the website, watch the podcast. And then we're also on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. LinkedIn, Twitter, Echo Behind the Ballot. Twitter is Echo Behind Ballot because character limits, but it's pretty easy to find us. And just remember the go. Think action. Go behind the ballot. And if you find like podcast art that's like yellow and there's a little ballot in the background, you found it. That's where you want to be. Excellent. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with our audience. And I am very inspired by what you're doing right now. And if there's anything I can do in the future when you get your book written, because I see a book coming out, that's what I see at some point for you. Make sure you come back on because I'd love to have you on and share this as a platform for you anytime. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, if anyone's thinking of running, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to share my tips and tricks and encouragement. If you're thinking about it, you should probably do it. Thank you. I just want to thank Claire for coming on the show today. It's so important that people have an interest in our political system and safeguarding our democracy by running actively and being involved in political office. And Texas is ground zero. It really is. It's ground zero for a lot of issues that we're looking at that 
affect women in our society, equality, and access to the ballot, and being able to just exercise our right to vote and express ourselves in a society. And that's why I think what Claire's doing right now is so pivotal. Podcast, go behind the ballot, and just, I mean, her experiences from running for office inspired me so much that now I want to go inspire people to run for office and maybe even get more involved myself on some level, whatever that means. The midterm elections showed that as a democracy, we can come together and work things with each other. There's always going to be chaos in our system right now. But when you can have a first-generation Mexican-American aspire and achieve what Claire's done to date, I think that should inspire us all. So stay engaged. And this all is hemmed in spirituality, by the way, guys, because equality, it's a spiritual concept. We're all made of spiritual energy. If you just break it down real simplistic, no one's better than anyone else. And we are equal. So that's not a big myth. That's not anything to even debate. It's just the way it is. And women are equal to men. And let's just support each other. Let's build our society up. and Let's support people like Claire. Check out her website. I'll have everything in the show notes. Thank you so much. Stay positive because when you're positive, anything's possible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Electricast. Electricast.